Hi. Hello. Hello. How you doing? So good now that I'm with y'all. So, so good. Welcome back to the Wine About Birth podcast. <laughs> we are three birth professionals. <laughs> and best friends. And we're here to talk about what it's really like to live in the world of birth. It's all glitter and rainbows. Or as we like to say, it's a lot more shit than giggles. I'm Kim Haynes, midwife at a busy birth center and small home birth practice. I'm Meredith Rowell, also midwife at a small home birth practice. And I'm Jess McKee. I'm a doula for clients in and out of the hospital and also a birth assistant with you guys at your out-of-hospital practice. Our almost did the woot-woot. Woot-woot! It's been a long time. It's been so long. Howdy ho! We were just talking about some of our... We were just talking about some of our favorite Kim memories. I, listen, it, I it's not gonna come up. how you think, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It was just perfect as it was. It should never be changed. I'm going to tell the world two of my favorite Kim memories. Go ahead. So we went to Florida. I think we might have told this what's worth telling again. I don't know. We went to Florida. Please just keep telling it couple, over and over. A couple years ago and we so stayed long ago. at this beautiful hotel. It was that like the had, SeaWorld one that has all the like murals of whales on the inside of yeah, it. Yeah, like huge open like lobby that you can see up like eight floors. Was it glass elevators? And there's glass elevators that go up the side of the lobby where you can see them. <laughs> we haven't even been drinking at this point. No, I don't we think. had been. We had oh, been. Oh, yeah. We, we never we? were not drinking. That's when the, were we not It wasn't drinking. a significant amount, though. Was, was this before, before we went out? The beds. Yeah, this was oh, this God. was after we came back from I going forgot. out. So we had definitely been drinking. Oh, that was, oh, I thought this was before we went out. So we come back from that drinking. And we get in the we get in the um, the glass elevator and Kim goes, you know, it'd be so much fun if we put our boobs up against the elevator. And then as it went up, our boobs would go. <laughs> <laughs> I was like. Because how funny would that be? It would be hilarious. But we were like, Kim, the The glass elevator moves with with your boobs. But it was double paned. There was one glass not moving and the indoor one moved. Whatever. In my memory, though, your face was like, oh, yeah. (laughs) True story. That is true. Maybe in the moment I didn't get it. Maybe I was drinking. (laughs) Is your second favorite thing when she was jumping the bed? Yes. Oh, my God. I forgot about this till just this moment. You revel in my pain entirely too often. My second favorite memory of Kim. I wouldn't say this is my all-time favorite memories, but of this trip in particular. So we get into our hotel room, and we're all excited, and we're like, you know, we're on on vacation. We're having fun. And Kim's like, look, double beds. And she starts jumping on the beds like a kid does. Back and forth and back and forth. No, no, girl. You didn't make it back. Oh, I only did it one time. So I remember when I was a kid, I used to jump from like bed to bed in the hotel room. And so she goes to try and do this. And she goes, look, guys, I'm going to jump to the other bed. And she goes to jump. And I I watch. I'm like, she's not going to make it. Not going to make it. So her foot hits the other edge of the bed. And she just falls backward smacked her ass on the ground it wasn't even a fall it was like my legs like propelled me (laughs) to the ground it was a hard fall that was such a hard fall I thought she (laughs) was going to die I was like somehow it didn't it was like watching a hobbit Jump across the lake, a or grand, the Grand or Canyon, and of course it was your 40th birthday. So you're like, so I guess that's a little bit harder to do when you're 40 yeah. than when you're 12. I just remember floating through the air like a butterfly. Oh, it was not that graceful. No, I was a child. 
Not so much anymore, unfortunately. Oh, it was so good. <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> thank God that didn't hurt. Oh. Uh, I'm glad we got off to a fun start talking about Oof. Kim and all of her yeah. excitement. Thanks, Thanks guys. Laugh. Thank you. Thanks. Yeah, I needed that laugh. <laughs> um, but we have a serious, serious we're still serious. So serious. It, it's not that Why so serious. It's not that serious. It's not. We're um, actually going to talk about data today, though. A little bit. <laughs> data. My dad. Um, I don't want to talk about But dad. we're going to be talking. We're going to be talking about natural induction methods. And I just wanted to put a disclaimer out there that this isn't necessarily like medical advice, even though we no, are. No, it's definitely not medical birth advice. Birth professionals. Not we, just not necessarily. Not, it's yes. Not. It's not <laughs> medical advice. The conversations we have with our clients around these topics are far more in depth than what we're going to be offering on our podcast so today. So basically, we want to give you our experiences with some of these natural induction methods, when we use them, when we don't use them, and then also point you towards resources so that you can decide if any of those situations arise for you, if you feel comfortable taking on the risks and benefits of those methods or not. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So we are going to talk some stats, but mostly it's just going to be giving you resources to look it up yourself because informed consent is key. So I have found because, and I know I've talked about this before, I'm in like some VBAC groups on Facebook um, I've found that some of these are like super hot topics and people get really, really angry about yeah. them. It's like circumcision and castor oil, bring <laughs> yeah. them up online and it's a total shit show. Oh yeah, my God. Castor oil is real, uh, people get real charged. So, but before we, I think in the second half, we can talk a little bit more about the specific methods, but I want to talk a little bit about like us being out of hospital providers, which situations we consider these different options. Mm -hmm. You are an out of hospital client and you are approaching your 42 week mark. Eventually we start to have a conversation about what natural induction options we have as out of hospital providers to help you get your labor going to avoid a transfer for induction in the hospital. Yeah. So that's one of our most common reasons why we would talk about that and we routinely go up to 42 weeks unless there is some kind of indication not to um so that that's one of them is that you're going post dates and post dates like i said is 42 weeks not 40 weeks 42 Mm -hmm. another one of our most common reasons for having to consider a transfer is if your water breaks mm-hmm. and labor is not starting on its own, especially but, if you're strep B positive. Yes, but if you're mm-hmm. GBS negative now, they're suggesting that you have a full three days. Yeah. Which is so nice. Which makes it so much easier and so much less risk of transfer for that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then these aren't some of our most common reasons, but I have found that there are times that if there's somebody who is past their due date and just is like keeps having i don't know maybe i shouldn't even say this crazy prodromal crazy prodromal labor right and it's like they're so tired and it's like just going and going and going and going that that's been a conversation before but not one of our more common ones right and that's like on such a case-by-case basis like you can't say that every woman who's like 41 and three and done and like 
ready to get the baby out well, i guess 41 three is actually what a lot of people do induction but if like you're 41 weeks and you're just like done because of prodromal that doesn't automatically mean that that's a good consideration for you but for some situations yeah. it might be a viable option i also want to talk about the reasons why we would not consider these methods there's probably more of those yes mm-hmm. um so and we do get clients who just you know get to 38 weeks and are done and take castor oil um without having that conversation with us and we and wanna, it magically works <laughs> yes but we want to put out there that we do not as professionals or in our personal lives recommend that that stresses um, me out actually yeah, yeah and, and i've had several clients do it without telling me especially if i'm like don't do that like you're only 38 weeks and then they do it anyway and then they get stuck with days of diarrhea cramping prodromal labor and it doesn't work so yeah you're kind of setting yourself up for that so i did want to say that that's part of for all of these things that we're going to talk about i have re- noticed that all of them are more effective if your body is really ready to go yeah. into labor. That's how we always tell people. It's like they're only really going to work if your body's already like on the precipice and like ready to take the dive. <laughs> ready to dive in <laughs> like a muff. No, we talked about not <laughs> saying that when it comes to And birth. I nixed that <laughs> Why? and I said we can always say it. I always, no, wait, I missed that conversation. It was in our last episode. Oh, well, apparently I was part of that conversation. This wasn't in a birth it. story. I would always like the option to say muff. Yes, <laughs> I do love it. You can say like a muff at any point. You want to say like a muffin? No, no, <laughs> don't say that. <laughs> like a muffin top. Like, yeah. So, <laughs> so you're saying don't induce yourself naturally just because you're over your pregnancy. Mm, yes, the risk of your baby having negative consequences because that is so much higher or even if your baby doesn't have any negative consequences from it, the risk of you having, like Kim said just contractions that aren't going anywhere and tire you out or diarrhea and stuff like that becomes higher if your body's not ready for it. Um, And also sometimes, you know, these things can cause labor eventually, but they can cause it to start sooner than it would have and just make you be miserable for days and days. Whereas if there's nothing wrong and you waited for labor to start on its own, um, that wouldn't happen and your labor would go easier Plus, I find that like natural induction isn't it's not that different um, from medicinal induction, as in if your body isn't ready and you're forcing it, then you run the risk of it taking a lot longer or having negative, you know, side effects. Yeah. Because your body's not ready. So, yeah. Yeah. So we do not recommend doing any of these things just for shits and giggles we are huge proponents of you talking to your providers and having that transparency because that's really important yes um so so before we dive into actual induction techniques let's talk a little bit about some of the things people do to just try and prep their body for birth Um, Some of those, and we can talk about some of our experiences with it, but I really don't want to get into the studies on all of those things. 
nostalgic wow uh, let's talk about sex baby i love how let's we made talk really about intense you eye contact me like, let's talk, talk about, about all the good things and then everything else you said after that i was just you were like and then we'll talk about we won't talk about our actual experiences and i was like no we won't because that would be weird <laughs> <laughs> Except we do do I mean, that all the time. You said do do. <laughs> um, so yeah. So number one thing that we suggest actually to just get your body prepared is have sex Those as often landers. as you can or want to. As long want as your water's to. not broken. So yeah, semen uh, has prostaglandins in it that are Kim just made a gagging face. known to help. Uh, prime your cervix for labor to soften it and get it effaced and to get it ready for labor. So before anyone even does an induction, they usually talk about how favorable your cervix is for induction. So semen helps get your cervix favorable for induction. Do you know what else gets your cervix favorable for induction? What? Evening primrose oil. And then you don't have to have a penis in your body. Unless you want a penis. Unless in your you body. want it there. But listen. Listen, Linda. Sex <laughs> has a double whammy in preparing your body. Only if you have a double orgasm. whammy preparing. Yes. <laughs> I want a double whammy. <laughs> Only if you have an orgasm. Yes. Which no one seems to know. So then when I say that, they don't the know women. If they're having an orgasm? No, they don't seem to know that you have to have an orgasm. So then the look on their face is like, yeah. I've been duped. <laughs> like, well, that's why we always tell our moms if you need to get yourself off. Yeah. Also, like get the semen application, but then get yourself off if you need to. So if you're having sex for labor induction purposes, it's important to get yours and have an orgasm because orgasms also cause uterine contractions, which can help also prepare your cervix for labor. So get what you deserve, girl. Get it. Get Your it. midwives are, and doula are encouraging you to use toys if necessary. <laughs> or your hands, whatever. Whatever it, whatever floats your boat. If you can reach your vagina <laughs> at this point. I bring my toys with me everywhere. <laughs> um, okay, so some other things that people do for um, preparing for labor. Um, dates. They, there are some studies that show if you eat dates starting at like 36 weeks that it can help prepare your body for labor and that people that eat dates are more likely to go into labor sooner rather than later. Yeah, the study has like a very specific recommendation. It says six dates a day for four weeks leading up to their due date. It's not voodoo. It's giving you minerals that we don't typically get in our regular diet. Which strengthens your uterus and makes it more able to contract. It says they had a shorter first stage of labor, a higher mean cervical dilation, and more 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 had intact membranes upon arrival at the hospital. So Which I mean, we like. Mm-hmm. I love that word intact. Comes to membranes and other things. We um, just like the word intact. <laughs> and we had yeah. less need for medical intervention to induce. Oh. So dates can be a good thing if you like them or can make yourself eat them. Um, another thing some people do is evening primrose oil. I Some people take it orally. Some people use it, it vaginally. vaginally. I don't really know how I feel about it, evening primrose oil. When my clients ask me about it, I'm just like, you You're can do it if you it. want. I mean, they're, they're prostaglandins. Yeah. So technically, they have a similar chemical makeup to semen. Yeah. So that's like why they're considered chemically viable and helping tone. Not to, they don't tone, but they ripen your cervix. Does that mean taking semen by mouth can also help ripen your cervix? 
Oh my I god! The fifth on that one. <laughs> I actually think one if Hyatt has asked us that before, we both did the exact same thing. We we're like, uh, one dose of semen. We're gonna, P-O. We're, we're gonna say no because there are men who listen to this podcast. You so can't. We are going. Who to can say ethically no. study that? And now you're gonna go shoot a load. And we're gonna you're gonna do it every day at noon. Make and sure then, you dirty slurpy that stuff right down the hatch. Oh my God, God. I feel <laughs> <laughs> Which, if that causes nausea, that's a common complaint for um, <laughs> very for semen? specific, very specific <laughs> labor induction techniques, um, which we will come to talk about. With, oh my god you can't even help yourself right now i can't i'm sorry I'm she's like how many inappropriate things can i put and in, shove into one set somebody needs to get all of laid. it <laughs> that's all i'm gonna say okay so I get laid on the reg so i'm all right not pointing fingers um another thing people talk about is like using pineapple to induce labor oh, yeah. i actually oh, so i actually did that to try and induce labor i don't know if it works if it doesn't work if you like pineapple go for it supposedly it's supposed to be eating an entire whole fresh pineapple so apparently the research doesn't show any real link between pineapple and um decreased like labor or anything like that but technically the chemical bromelain bromelain is supposed to be what causes the labor is that the same thing i put in my hot tub you put bromine in yes, there. Yes, I know. Those are two different things. <laughs> <laughs> so does that mean sitting in Kim's hot tub? <laughs> then you come out smelling like pineapples. Awesome. Hot tub. Hot tub. Hot tub. <laughs> Joe um, Coy, he's my favorite. I feel like we're being real absurd in this episode. That's because we just are struggling. We're Everyone's go- in listen, vacation mode. We're going to get to the part where we talk about serious stuff soon. Right now, we're just, you know, glazing over some of these these early oh, things. Oh, bromelain is used as a meat tenderizer. <laughs> <laughs> Ew. <laughs> Why does that all go together so well? <laughs> I don't know what's happening here. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So all of those things, is there any, is there any other? Oh, and oh, then there's some. Parm is one of my favorites. <laughs> there are some. That's not real. <laughs> There are some herbs that um, there's like red raspberry leaf, red raspberry leaf people will use to get your uterus muscle like toned. But then there's also like uh, the very specific herbal re- like remedies that you buy and you like take. Like Dr. Christopher. Yeah, like Dr. Christopher. All of that is just it's mostly the uterine tonics yes. and red raspberry Or leaf. labor. There's like labor eases or whatever. I've actually have had clients because we're talking about our own um, specific experiences i actually have had clients who have taken those things and definitely went into labor sooner than i was expecting like primips who had their babies in their 38th week instead of going yeah you start at like 36 weeks and there's a very specific regimen that you take as you get closer to 40 weeks i just feel like it's so hard to know yeah, you I've know. always framed it as like for clients who do want to take those products, it's also like a mental, emotional yes. boost as well. Like if you're feeling like you're being proactive and doing something to set yourself up for success and that brings you comfort, then awesome. Yeah. But That's actually, true. now that I'm reading some of the research, I'm like, eh, I probably need to do a little bit more like informed consent around these things. Yeah. Well, when it comes to actually getting labor started, not just prepping for labor. Um, so yeah, let's start talking about, um, some of the things that we would use to maybe get labor started 
if we were getting to some of those situations where like you're talking about like if we get to like 42 weeks yeah so i wanted to talk a little bit about stripping of membranes Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. what are your opinions on stripping of membranes i think it's the same as anything else like if it's gonna work it'll work and if your body's not ready it won't but usually it's it's for me if it doesn't work within 24 hours then you know you're gonna have to do it again yeah so then did it work or did it just i mean when you do it it's supposed to trigger those hormones and it separates the the amniotic sac from the cervix so i know it has to do but i don't know sometimes if it's the if it's stripping the stripping that you're doing when you're separating it from the cervix or if it's the sweeping when you're stretching the cervix yeah. and yeah. like irritating the cervix essentially it can cause uterine Who contractibility just to is. be doing that well i feel like that's why we try to do that with other things stem as well so that kind of we get to we can start those hormones going but then have these other things following up behind it that will kind of keep riding that wave and keep it going right i, and I think it anything works best if you do it if you pair it <laughs> with other right methods. like wine works best if you yes. pair it with, with cheese things. with cheese and olives <laughs> now i'm hungry and prosciutto um so vegetarian yeah <laughs> i love me some prosciutto um so but i wanted to t- say a little bit about stripping of membranes because i for me and i don't know how you guys feel about this maybe it's just from some of my own personal experiences like I've seen a lot in hospital practices that they'll offer to start doing this at like 38, 39 yeah, weeks. I and I really am uncomfortable with that because one of the um, one of the side effects that could be caused by stripping the membranes is you are introducing bacteria, bacteria right. possibly into the uterus. There's also the small risk that you could actually accidentally break yeah, the water sack on how like aggressively while you're do doing it um, or introduce bacteria into the water sack. So I get well, really uncomfortable with doing this before it's like you said, we need to, we're thinking about transferring for a medical induction and that's when I'm like, Oh yeah. Stripping of membranes is like a totally feasible thing to do Mm -hmm. then because you know you're gonna have to go get your baby out within the next several days anyway and you kind of have to take into consideration too like are you gbs positive Mm -hmm. are you like is your vagina healthy because like you said anything that's in your vagina is going to be shoved into your uterus so yeah i don't really know that's why i don't like to do that until you're post-date like very much post-dates yeah well also like you said too like most women are going to experience some degree of contractions from it so like you don't want to do it too early because then they're just going to have like those annoying prodromal contractions that aren't really going to contribute to anything in the long run that's just going to wear them out and you don't want to set your clients up for failure by doing that yeah right so basically it's a good thing if you really need to do it but don't jump in and do it prematurely because doing things prematurely isn't fun for anybody. No. <laughs> God, you are crushing it today. <laughs> oh, Jess. <laughs> sweet, sweet okay. Jess. So let's talk a little bit. So now we've gotten past the point of just trying to get your body to go into labor on its own. We just talked about stripping membranes. Um, there are some practices and some situations where uh, even we would be comfortable with like breaking your water before going to a pharmacological way of starting labor. Why don't you talk about some of the situations where you think that might be a good option? Um, for me, I, I have no problem doing that on like the last day. Like that is my absolute last 
Like you're literally transferring later right. that day like, or the next day. If exactly. You don't go into labor. Yeah. Because if you're, well, I won't do it if you're GBS positive to me, that's mm-hmm. not really an option. Well, you know what? I take that back. It is an option if you are willing to do the antibiotics. It's, and I know a lot of people, especially out of hospital are not for the antibiotics, but if I'm going to purposely put something into your vagina, I don't feel comfortable with it. Um, but you would have to be, we would have to be doing some sort of labor, you know, induction that you're contracting somewhat and maybe be right at 42 weeks or the day before. Like, also, like you have to take into consideration like where the baby is as well. Yeah. Your baby has to be low, applied to the cervix. It can't be high. We don't want to risk the cord coming down or a hand or something mm-hmm. like that. Um, but if, before you do that, you could also do the Foley catheter. I hope we talk about Foley cath. Yeah. So I, before I would break someone's water, first off, if you are four centimeters or above, I would break your water. I would feel totally fine with that. If everyone, like if biophysical profile was good and the baby sounded healthy. Biophysical Um, profile is an ultrasound done later in pregnancy to check the placenta and the baby's well-being to move forward in the pregnancy. Right. So. Otherwise, um, if you're not four centimeters, maybe even three, it might mm-hmm. be possible to break your water. But if not, you would have to do a Foley cath. So let's before we talk about the Foley cath, we can talk about that next. Let's talk about some the risks of breaking your water. So the the risks would be that um, you wouldn't go into labor on your own, and then right. you'd have to use another method. Right, especially like she said, your GBS status yeah. is a huge contributing factor to the next step. So like if you're GBS positive, technically you should be like in active labor at twenty four hours. So mm-hmm. like that puts a timeline on your labor at that point. Like she said, if you're GBS negative now it's three days, so you definitely have more time at that point. But that GBS status is like a big factor in that yeah. decision. Yeah. And there is a very, very small risk of like cord prolapse, which is why we were t- taking into account um, only doing it if like the baby's head is well down and like applied to the cervix, which makes that like very, very, very unlikely. Um, so I wanted to say that, so that's us for our out of hospital practice, but I wanted to say that there's been times me working in the hospital doula clients that I've suggested that, especially for VBACs, because I have had clients who have providers who are very like, do not want them to go past for, 40 weeks even or 41 and who are unwilling to do any kind of um, induction pharmacological induction methods on a VBAC and so I've had clients who it was like either you go into labor by this date or we go straight in for a planned cesarean and so I would say that I have had clients who their VBAC was saved um, working within the parameters of that practice by getting their water broken because they went in, had their water right. broken, their body mm-hmm. did it on its own, and they had a, a vaginal birth. Whereas if they hadn't done that, um, they would have had a scheduled cesarean. No, I was just going to add in like a lot of, um, and I know a lot of the, you that are listening are hospital birthers, so it mm-hmm. wouldn't really pertain to you. But for our out-of-hospital moms, a lot of them will cling to the fact that they don't want any sort of like rules or any sort of like time constraint. But the bottom line is when you... If you have a provider that you trust, you need to start weighing the benefits and the risks and know that if your body for some reason is super comfortable and your baby doesn't want to come out, then you have to start deciding what risk that you want to take. Yeah. Because sometimes you have to do things you're not comfortable with to stay out of the hospital. Mm -hmm. So if you'd prefer to go to the hospital, that's fine too. But at some point you can't have everything 
on your birth wish list. So I think that's a big part of the induction process and understanding that you have to then start crossing over to the things that mm-hmm. you didn't want in yeah. order to do this. I, go ahead. And I think there's a big conversation surrounding because we're talking about the risks and benefits of these natural induction methods. And I feel very often, especially if you're a, if you're a in-hospital client, that when you're having those conversations about risks versus benefits, we tend to leave out the risks of pharmacological induction at the hospital because using the the standard pharmacological using Pitocin or Cervidil or Cytotec, all of those things come with very real risks too, but we often leave that out because it feels more controlled than using these other mm-hmm. things. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's kind of like when people say, and I mean, it has nothing to do with it, but it's like, um, ew, I'm not, I would never put that in my vagina. That's so disgusting. And yeah. I'm like, have you ever flipped over the myconazole package? Like, do you mm-hmm. know what that is? Yeah. yeah. You're going to be doing something. You're intervening in your own natural, you know, everything at yeah. some point. So I do I like what speaking to like what you're saying earlier. I feel like a lot of like for me, I thought I would be that provider that was like, I'm never going to break waters because that's like how so many people's stories for their first labor start and ends up like yeah. leading to this like cascade of interventions that right. doesn't give them the outcome they want. So like a lot of people in their mind, like breaking water is connected to, very strongly to like poor outcomes in the hospital. But I find that there's been multiple times in our midwifery experience that's actually like we're trying to convince our clients that breaking the water is a really good option for like what's going on and they have to like like you said kind of pick and choose like what they're right, going right, to right. like wiggle on at this point to so, get the birth that they want. So it's really like again informed consent and I find a lot of times when people have those, it's also trying not to pressure people. So when people are pressured into an intervention like that um, and then they have a poor outcome, it can really like mess with them. Whereas if it's like I, re- I weighed the risks and benefits and we already had this conversation that this could happen or that could happen, but that also this is what might happen if we don't do it, it really feels like their choice and they can own it. So let's talk about Foley casts real quick and then we'll go to break. Um, so a Foley cath is just what sounds like it's a catheter that you can use to empty your bladder. It's like the balloon catheter. So yeah. if you, you've probably heard of it, as, like that's what I feel like a lot of people call it a balloon catheter because it's yeah. different than like a straight catheter. Your cervix does have to be a little bit open in order to be able to use one. You would be surprised how small open it can be. Yeah, yeah. because yeah. It, it really just needs to be open enough to fit the catheter in. Yeah. Because then you blow it up once it gets in there. Yeah. So, so basically you pass the catheter through the vagina into the cervix and then you pump it up. The, the balloon goes through the cervix mm-hmm. into the uterus yeah and, and then rests. we pump it up in the uterus and then we pull it so the balloon yeah. is being pulled down like the baby's head onto your cervix so we're not pumping it up in your cervix yeah. that would be called manual dilation yeah there would be no reason that i would ever ever do that yeah. to someone ever mm-hmm. um but then once you start contracting you pump it up to about four centimeters so then mm-hmm. when it comes out you know that you've made it to four centimeters yeah. and then it's if basically you just move, applying direct pressure to your cervix and we tape it to your leg so it's weird so you walk around with this thing hanging out taped to your leg yes but it um, just the the putting that pressure on the cervix right can help the cervix cause contractions and dilate on its own usually only with contractions. so i think in the last five years since the center's been open there have been a handful 
of moms where nothing is working. Yeah. But I think that that's kind of a point that we can make at the end. Yeah. That we just have to trust our body yeah. that if you're doing mm-hmm. all these things and, and it's, it's not, not working, working there's a reason saying. for it. Mm-hmm. I mean, in the, in like the groups I follow on Facebook, there's a lot of people that use Foley catheters and they are successful for them to get labor started, especially, like I said, VBACs where they're not willing to use other methods of induction. So I think it can be a really good choice. Um, One of the, again, risks of it would be that, again, you're putting something through your vagina up into your uterus, and so there's a chance of infection from introducing bacteria. There's also a, a risk of ROM. If you're rupture of membrane all the way into your uterus and it's i mean probably not but it can still happen i mean i've seen water break when you check someone just right. because of the pressure one of my favorite fully cast stories is actually my cousin was birthing in a military hospital which are notorious like are more known for like high intervention yeah um and she got a fully cath and actually sent her home with it which I've never heard of. Yeah, before. I haven't heard of that with hospitals. Usually, you have to like yeah. stay there. And right. I've been encouraging other colleagues, like other family members or colleagues of mine, to advocate for that. And I haven't had anybody else get the go ahead to do that. But I encourage people to continue to advocate for that um, if they do have a hospital birth, because it has been done. And I think that's an amazing option. It has been done. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. then, if you add the Foley cath to doing my favorite method of induction is truly just breast pump mm-hmm. like that's it's so easy it's so non-invasive it which we will talk about that right after the break so oh, let's go okay break. great <laughs> all right <laughs> cue the music <laughs> oh yeah so the sponsor for today's podcast is once again our patreon account So what do you get for being one of our patrons? So today, we recorded some behind-the-scenes footage of us recording our podcast. Probably will get more than you could ever want from us, honestly. (laughs) Sometimes we do weird, crazy dance videos. Sometimes we roll in the snow in our bathing suits, because why not? Yeah, so basically the point of this is, is that we would love to have you as a patron of our podcast. If you become a patron, there are three different levels of monetary support, and each level gives you different perks. Um, so yeah, check out our Patreon account. It's www.patreon.com slash wineaboutbirth, and we would love to have you on the Wine About Birth Patreon team. Cheers! Cheers! Welcome back from that delightful break. So Kim, before we left for that break... Jess. You wanted to talk about nipple stimulation. I love nipple stim. Is it nipple stim? So the other day, I told, I charted to someone that she needed to get her nips adjusted, <laughs> <laughs> and then I had to erase it. We and probably write all needed our nips adjusted <laughs> at some point or the but other. But I told her, and we just had a really good laugh about it. Get your tits That's in check. Hilarious. Yeah, <laughs> adjust your tits. <laughs> so. So nipple stimulation we very commonly use uh, to help get labor started because basically the whole premise behind nipple stimulation is that when you stimulate the nipples, it releases oxytocin, which causes uterine contractions. Yes. Uh, So it's the natural form of Pitocin. Mm -hmm. Or Pitocin is the synthetic form of oxytocin. And I think that if you 
Like if you're 40 weeks and you just want to like do a little bit of something, I don't mm-hmm. see the harm in doing that like mm-hmm. for an hour in the morning and then going yeah. about your day. Again, that's more like, is this client going to benefit from that or R- is they going to get right out? And- exactly. <laughs> but if you do, well. if you do a sweep and then you do the stem, the yeah. nipple stem, it usually works really well together. So I, I have two stories regarding that. So I had one client and I laughed really hard and I kept mentioning to her, like, we could try nipple stimulation. We could try nipple stimulation. And finally she, she says to me, what is the point? of nipple stimulation and i was like so i said that whole thing about how it releases oxytocin and causes contractions and she goes oh okay that makes a lot more sense i thought it was like a comfort measure like you were imagining us like sitting around getting all tantric and like twiddling our nipples <laughs> for like comfort it's like instead of rubbing your butt we just rub your nips (laughs) i was like no that sounds awful that sounds terrible actually is trying to accomplish something besides getting you really relaxed i guess there are some people who could sit around and twiddle their own nipples and it would make them relaxed but like a nightmare not the majority of people i was explaining to a couple nipple stim and as i'm telling like well you know the best way to do it is if you want your partner to just kind of do it for a little bit, that's like number one because it's going to be, but he's got to like fully commit. I don't want their fingers with their mouth or with their mouth. Like if they can like fully commit to like sucking, I know it sounds so (laughs) hippie, but it's just, it really, really works. And as I'm explaining it, the dad is getting higher and higher and his <laughs> like, eyebrows and I'm like, ready. yes, and his, <laughs> this is my time to shine. So <laughs> excited. He was like, this is me. This is my moment. And then, and, but the look on her face was like nothing Get but disgust. Away from and then me. I said, or you can just use a breast pump. She goes done. And his whole body He's went like, 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 like he was so sad. We've seen at least a couple of labors where really the only reason they continued having contractions was because the dad was doing nipple stimulation and with his mouth. It's not easy. Like no. you're the, I'm jaw like get for them. <laughs> Your jaw gets sore. <laughs> Got a cramp. My jaw, jaw cramp, jaw There's cramp. Also, my favorite labors are the ones where the moms are like really modest and they're like, "I'm gonna stay dressed. I'm not gonna like show anything." And then by the end of it, it's like one of those really long labors where at the end of it, like the providers just like falling asleep next to the birth up with their hands on their boobs like doing trying for them (laughs) (laughs) i got your nips covered i got you we've gone like we went from one street to another well we don't have pitocin so we have to do something to get that oxytocin mom's been doing it for like hours you're like i got you yeah i'll do it for a bit (laughs) so then i had another client because there's some hospitals i go to as a doula and they love nipple stimulation they're like let us just roll in our hospital grade breast pump and we'll do nipple stimulation for a little while and i'm like what really wow this yes, is fantastic it. but then i've been at other hospitals before where they're like they'll hear me say That's so yeah, you could try crazy. some nipple stimulation and they'll be like uh we don't recommend that and i feel like the purpose for yeah. taking like seven hours to get you a breast pump and so no and they, they will instead. not bring a breast pump and so there was one time when there was a nurse that i was getting on with because i tend to not confront them at all but I was, I, like, sweet, sweet I was like, so why, I was like, so why don't, why do you have such a hard stance against nipple st- stimulation? Like, why do you not recommend it? And she goes, well, it could cause uterine hypercontractability that what? like it, it was going to cause too, too many, too many, too many contractions that could cause a baby to go into distress. As opposed to so, Pitocin. And so then I said to her and I was like, um, doesn't Pitocin sometimes cause that? And she goes, yes, but we can control that. 
Uh, oh, okay. And I was and like, stop twiddling her nips. We can just stop touching her nipples at any point we in time. We can control ourselves. We can <laughs> stop twiddling. <laughs> well, it's not like Austin Powers, out. like nipple, nipple, nipple. I mean, we might do that <laughs> in our real lives, but professionally, we are much more mature. Sometimes people say things, and I just want to say, I your think, stupid meter just went off. I think yes. the best response is just to stare at them for a really long time until what they actually just said sinks in. I know. Make right? sure you blank several times. Well, I used to do that to people all the time just when like, I waited tables. Oh, you did that to me all the time. Just, when I was stare, just stare at them uncomfortably until they're like, or. <laughs> Never mind. Here's a medical grade breast pump. Have fun in the bathroom. <laughs> Pretend I didn't say that. Then I they, think like, I will. Backwards out of the room. <laughs> so, yes, nipple stimulation. Uh, I don't, like, in my personal experience, like, I don't really see any downsides to nipple stimulation. No. If you start getting a lot of contractions and they're just coming, just. Stop, stop. Just stop touching your nipples and uh, just stop off. touching. <laughs> Oxytocin, similar to Pitocin, has a very small half life and will be out of your body shortly. Yep. Um, okay. So I'm just, I keep picturing women that can't stop touching their nipples. <laughs> <laughs> just kids, kids, stop. Especially because they're stop. causing the terrible contractions. I definitely can't stop. I don't understand. <laughs> <laughs> no pain, no gain, baby. <laughs> Okay, so let's go on and talk about um, the hot topic of all for all of this. So, castor oil. Castor oil. I, for one, am a big fan of castor oil in very specific situations, Mm -hmm. and I have seen it be very, very effective. Mm -hmm. Um, Castor oil is like, it's the C word in certain situations where it's like, (laughs) don't even mention. In fact, there's one Facebook group that I'm on that every time somebody comes on and makes a post about castor oil, the post immediately gets shut off and no one's allowed to comment on it because everybody fights so much. I feel like the three C's right now are castor oil, circumcision, COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Dun, dun, dun. Definitely not see you next Tuesday. (laughs) I love that word, and I'm going to use it as much as I want. I thought that's what you were saying, and I was like, she can't be saying cunt, because we say that all the time. I know, but for some people, they do get very offended by that. That I was talking about that word. Um, so, yeah. So, it's like either it's people who are like, I took castor oil, and this happened, or there's people who are like, I've heard horror stories, and it's dangerous. Don't do it no matter what. Or I just don't feel like shitting my brains out and for then four days. There's straight. other people who are like... Here's all the studies about castor oil. Read them and make up your mind about the risks and benefits. So like I said, we're not telling you. I'm totally on that team. We're not telling you you should take castor oil. You should not take castor oil. But we're going to tell you some of our experiences with it. Um, There are several small studies that are done about castor oil. Um, I'm just going to, in the words of Princess Bride, let me sum up. Because (laughs) that'll take too long. As you wish. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So basically from all of my research and there's a really good podcast slash article on evidence-based birth that takes all of the studies put together about castor oil and sums it up. Um, But basically the studies showed that um, there is an increase in people starting labor. All the studies across the board showed like in the group that took castor oil, 58% of them started labor within 24 hours and the group that didn't, it was like 4%. So there is a, it is effective. It can help you go into labor. We all know that for sure. Um, 
so then it also talked about the risks of castor oil because I feel like the biggest risks people talk about is that they're worried that taking castor oil is going because castor oil is a laxative is going to then cause the baby to pass meconium um, in, in the, the womb in utero, yeah. and cause problems with that. Well, what is castor oil? Castor oil is an oil that is a laxative. It makes you poop. It's from ricin. You know that, right? Yeah. I do. So, so theoretically, it could be very dangerous. That's why yeah. I think there's so many. Like yes, <laughs> and there's also like very like you really don't want to take too much. Like some women will just down like an entire cup of it, and like and that's always quite impressive and gross. Um, so like you would have to talk to your medical provider about doses and how much and. But again, it's always a conversation you should have with the medical provider. But the studies did show that in both groups, there was no increase in cesarean section. Um, there was no increase in forceps. There was no increase in episiotomy. And it didn't make the baby poop, right? And there, there was so no, no increase in meconium. Most of the, and these are small studies, so they're not definitive. But the studies tended to show that the increase in meconium you see amongst that group is usually because these are people who are post dates anyway. Right. So how can and we so there's is already I think since present. we've changed our entire world based on tiny studies in the COVID vaccine, <laughs> I think we can make the same claims about um Yeah. Castor oil if she we went want there. to. But if there's a mom who is super freaked out about the idea of meconium, then maybe it's not a good idea for her because that's going to freak her out and cause problems. So I, I guess it's like that's why I was saying like measure the risks versus the benefits right. and i also want to state that all of them said that there's not enough information um and safety studies for v-backs and castor oil um so there's not studies out there it doesn't mean it's more unsafe or less safe it means you again have to weigh those risks yourself i've had v-backs who have taken castor oil and it saved their v-back um, when their water is broken and labor wasn't starting um so, yeah, it's it's one of those things you have to weigh the risk for the, ben- with the benefits. I feel like a lot of the concerns I hear with castor oil are also about, like, the mom's fear of dehydration due to diarrhea as it's a laxative. But I have to say yeah. that the vast majority of the clients I've worked with, and this is all anecdotal, like, I have had cases of diarrhea from it. But mostly I would say our clients tolerate it pretty well and the benefits of it out outweigh the risk of diarrhea because ultimately especially if they're not taking a huge huge dose and labor yeah i mean i have had a couple people who it did give them like wicked diarrhea and they didn't go into labor um but that uh, that is one person one person yeah that's one of the risks that is a risk um there is also a higher risk of nausea in the castor oil group as opposed to the group that did not take castor oil um but like but, you said earlier, nausea can be a natural part of the labor process yeah. anyways. So, and we're not discounting that. But like I said, um, when you're talking about the risks of going in for either a planned cesarean or a medical induction, weighing those risks, mm-hmm. um, I've had lots of births that were very successful with the use of castor oil. The studies also showed that it decreased labor time as well. Interesting. But I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who don't agree with us we would actually like to hear your stories i don't want to hear your stories if it's like i had a friend's sister's second wife's brother's <laughs> wife who took castor <laughs> yeah. oil you almost didn't bring that and their baby like 
fell out dismembered like i want it to be like what did you i'm just i'm <laughs> she just got real dark real quick I'm not, i don't want to do that thing where it's like it's a chain 10 people long and they have this like wickedly awful horror story and that they don't even, even know the people and it might not even be true i'm saying if you actually took castor oil and something bad happened to you or if like someone in your immediate family did um, I would like to hear those stories. To real I want to have a real it. conversation about it. I have not experienced these things yet during my time as a birth worker, I a but I would story. like to hear it. All right. Tell me. It's not about the baby coming out dismembered, though. I know. I was just exaggerating <laughs> to make a point. I do have a funny story about that, which you would never think there would be a funny story about that. But it involves um, garlic put in the vagina for um, it's that midwife that wrote a... Um, autobiography and there was a story about when a client went into labor oh, and, yeah. remember, and she had told her to put garlic in her vagina for gbs and she went to feel the baby's head and she felt what she thought was a hand which then came detached and came out <laughs> and then she always was garlic oh no when i was terrible. a student a mom took a ton of castor oil without way telling. more than expected yeah like a lot and she <laughs> she was in the birth tub and started pushing and mm-hmm. just had the worst Crapped blood explosion everywhere. all in the tub. And then, then the baby just came out. It was like she pushed. Tons of poop came out. The baby came out. So the midwife and the baby came out and went to the bottom of the tub. <laughs> so the midwife had to get in. Like she had to get into the tub. Uh. So she panicked. Like she did the birth whatever and then she like got up and ran to our like eye wash station and she was like rinsing like, off she put like, like bleach you. on her skin like bleach in a panic and she's like ah, ah, ah. <laughs> that's hysterical and i was like what's happening but the baby was okay no the baby was fine the midwife was scarred <laughs> it but was the, the midwife the baby was scarred, yeah, was scarred. Take a flick a poo into the eye like a boss no I you took, didn't i took she it like, also ran to the eye wash station listen i did not panic though on the outside only on the inside i was very She's calm when she tells the story i was very, your face right now <laughs> i was very calm yeah so calm i wish i could capture like, the panic in your eyes right now i do what's have, that smell did someone step in poop it's my eye it's my eye just my eye <laughs> i mean it's i do i've had so, i've had several clients who have taken castor oil without telling me or telling me after the fact and it having just happened their babies fly out in like less than three hours yes so like I said, those are my experiences. I would really like to hear the other side of it because I think that that's very logical and people, you know, to have that conversation, you need to. But like I said, most of the conversations I have heard have been like, you know, just 10 different degrees of separation and you don't really know what exactly happened. Um, okay, so. That's all I have to say about castor oil. And that's all I have if to say about that. <laughs> you want to do some more research, I suggest the evidence based <laughs> birth was article. So mediocre. <laughs> I, I can't do it. You do a <laughs> terrible, terrible Forrest Gump. Gump. <laughs> I was trying to be It was nice more the mediocre. reference. Life not... is like a box of chocolates. <laughs> that was the only reference. It's the more. The reason you know it's Forrest Gump is because. It's I know, but I'm saying that was more for the reference, not the talent, because there was none. <laughs> You're talented in other ways. I do try to make at least one movie reference in every. I was episode. trying to figure out how yes. to put rodents of unusual size into our last conversation, and I failed epically. I was just sitting here waiting for the opportunity. Rodents of unusual size. What about the R O U S's? Um. Okay. Uh. So. 
you know what i just found a way to put it in that's what we're talking about for babies that have really horrible things from castor oil what about the russ <laughs> i don't really think they exist and all of a sudden a story is going to jump out and be like you were wrong actually <laughs> so they probably it probably does exist somewhere um okay so herbs another big c <laughs> yes i am actually kind of on the fence with the herbs i as a professional prefer castor oil over herbs well i like to do I just heard castor so many oil midwives go <laughs> i like the castor oil with the herbs and the homeopathic yeah like, just do it all together i yeah. feel like it's the biggest punch yes. to get things going oh i did want to say i did want to say going back to the castor oil thing that the dose that was in the studies was 60 ml so about four tablespoons at once at one time which um, is far more than well actually you some some midwives still do that some say one to two every four hours but the, the amount that was studied was four tablespoons. So, so Kim, and you he, talk a little bit yes, about herbs. Yes. Okay, that's, herbs are not my forte. People always ask me about herbs, and I know I'm supposed to be, like, yeah. taking classes well, and what stuff. what do you want to know? Are you talking about the, well, I you have, like, we have, like, there's a labor stem kit of yes. herbs. Um, so we do, the herbs that I use most are, like, cotton root, um, labor enhancer, which is like the cohoshes, red raspberry leaves. Yeah, Quan Yen. Did I say that right? <laughs> yeah, Quan Yen. I don't know. Why are you actually? <laughs> I just liked your face when you said it. It's something like that. So I like to use those as well as Angelica and Shepherd's Purse for bleeding, mm-hmm. but that's a whole other. Um, yeah, we're mostly but the, the, the only point. downside to me for using herbs, and I've read this and I have seen it myself, is the more women use herbal tinctures, the more clots they have postpartum. And I've read it before, but I don't think you're going to find it like in a huge study or anything. It's just yeah. I've heard it and then I've seen the clots, like especially when we're waiting for the placenta and we're using like um, Angelica and whatever, or if they had done like several hours of... Um, of um induction with herbs and homeopathics i know they're going to throw some clots postpartum yeah it just happens but but that's I similar mean, to, to people just... who get induced with um pitocin their risk of bleeding postpartum is mm-hmm. actually higher mm-hmm. yeah so i mean i i don't dislike the herbs it's just to me i've had a lot of moms just say can i just skip the herbs because they taste awful and it still works yeah. just fine as long as they're doing the breast pump and the castor oil yeah and so some people who aren't comfortable with castor oil or herbs because we do find that and that's totally fine sometimes they feel more comfortable with like hey we get we'll get our membrane stripped and then we'll do breast stimulation um just the nips yeah <laughs> just the nips. just the nips nip, nip stim the cohoshes also tend to be, I feel like generally speaking in the midwifery community of hospital, the cohoshes are a really important tool, but there is still some like disagreement around use of the cohoshes too. Like I know that blue cohosh is associated with like complications for people of higher blood pressure. So there's definitely like needs to be, I think a larger yeah. conversation with like the risks and benefits. But like you said earlier, like we don't have a larger conversation necessarily around the risks and benefits of like Pitocin and things like that. Yeah. Um, and so I feel like you have to weigh there are risks associated with any herbal tinctures because plants are really powerful. Um, like a lot of people, I feel like, think that that means they're necessarily gentler, but that isn't necessarily true, especially with certain dosages. So you just have to like be informed and, and for yourself, consider the risks and benefits of all your options. And, and yeah, look up the studies because there are con- there are some studies about herbs and the and the side effects of them. And so decide for yourself if those are risks 
you are willing to take or if you this is one of those things that makes me laugh so hard when people are like what kind of hippie voodoo is this and i'm like how many of our medicinal things do you think come from plants like penicillin is the biggest yeah antibacterial whatever antibiotic that we take and it is a fungus like (laughs) plants are intense Mm-hmm. And very it's often pharmaceutical things, they're actually synthetic copies of something you find in nature, which yes. is what Pitocin is. Synth- Pitocin is a synthetic version well, of natural oxytocin. Well, for all intents and purposes, all pharmaceuticals are synthetic yeah. something or other from nature. <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> which is why it's not weird. Yeah. Like, yeah. we just don't think about it. Yeah. We've become so disconnected from like where our food and where our medicine comes from that we don't even like make those connections anymore it's just that apparently you can't patent nature i guess you can't (laughs) we should try though let's i want to patent a tree or something (laughs) i'm just gonna hug them so before we wrap up this episode like uh (laughs) i think we have a very quick birth story of the week very fast and a bit violent okay so a couple of years ago i had a very difficult birth Yes. So I'm not going to give the details, but it was very traumatic for myself. Jen was a student. I don't know how traumatized she was, but the mm-hmm. mom, the dad, the family, like it was just really, really hard. Um, fast forward, she got pregnant again and, and came to the center and I was like, why are you here? Like, yeah. Wow. You're so brave. And she's like, no, I have complete trust in you and my team. I loved every single part of my birth. I just mm-hmm. didn't like the hospital part. And you so. handled the complication mm-hmm. like a boss, even though it was really not fun was for not, anybody. It was you not handled fun. it correctly. <clears throat> I handled it correctly. It was it was a really awful bimanual compression for situation. postpartum hemorrhage. For postpartum hemorrhage, she that- hemorrhaged and um, and it was just so awful because the birth was so beautiful and perfect, and mm-hmm. then this happened. And, and it was a hemorrhage that medication just wouldn't no, touch. No, so. nothing was touching yeah. it. She didn't end up needing a DNC, so it was like a retained placenta. She just kept dumping, and it was just terrible. So it was a really awful, like, when the EMTs got there, they were, in, you know, obviously like, ugh, this is ridiculous. Yeah, because you the, had your hand in her uterus. Yes, yeah. and it was so uncomfortable for her. Um obviously so anyway by the time we got to the hospital the emts were like oh you're awesome and i'm like no you're awesome so we were getting along so well didn't you have to ride on the stretcher with her with your hand inside her uterus Um, all the way there i was no i was able to stay on the side of the stretcher but it was really hard to fit down the stairs but they couldn't carry me and her yeah so they ended up running my leg over (laughs) but i couldn't move because my hand was obviously inside her uterus right so i was like "Ah!" and i was like i'm so sorry but by the time we got to the er and that's a whole other story um the MTs were picking me up and like picking me up by my hips and moving me right and left and wherever I needed to go. So it was just, it was so, and she recovered beautifully. She's amazing. Her husband's amazing. So we've been talking about this birth obviously since she conceived Yeah, and we've been so nervous, but nobody wanted to say they were like worried that it would secretly terrified. What if it happens again? So I kept saying like, if that's the worst case scenario, at least we know, we can handle that and we'll get through it. But it did not happen that way. She was in labor for a few hours. She came in. It was so beautiful. She was eight when she got there. 
but her husband and I kept like, I kept catching him looking at me and I was looking at him, but trying only to see if he was like worried. Yeah. And he'd like look around like, I'm not like, I don't know. <laughs> so it was like, as she got closer to pushing, I could tell he was like, this is when it's going to happen. It's going to be terrible. Yeah. And I was like, no, it's going to be great. But when she got there, the baby's heart rate was low. Yeah. And I was like, seriously, like, come on like this Why? is supposed to be so I'm, i just joked i was like of course your child has to be dramatic because his sister had a really dramatic entrance um but long story short she was about to push it was head compression very long cord so she started pushing the tub so katie was like don't worry she's about to push i said i know so i'm leaning over the tub and she's just beautifully laboring oh, like, i love it so amazing and she's holding his arm and he's like talking to her and i was like this is exactly what we wanted um, and she started to push and I could hear her pushing, but she wasn't, she made no effort to like reach down. So whenever that happens, sometimes the baby will come out and yeah. like fly to the back or to the bottom of the pool. Fly so I to the run. <laughs> crisscross. Sorry. Go on. I've never seen a Everybody crisscross. Everybody clap your hands. <laughs> or that. Go on. So I said to her, she was on her hands and knees and she was holding the side of the tub. So I said, if, if. I said something like, you're going to feel, you might feel me touch you when the baby comes out so I can push the baby forward. And I don't know what she heard or what she thought she heard, but the head started to come out. Yeah. And she screamed, no, and just wham, threw an elbow back like 100% MMA all the way, <laughs> cracked me right in the side of the face, knocked my glasses like, <laughs> like, and I was like, ah. Could have been that hard. You don't have a bruise. I don't have a bruise. I could take a hit to the face. Yeah. I think it's okay. She's got a hard head. Her husband goes, oh my God. <laughs> and I was like, it's fine. It's fine. So then she, so she throws the elbow, knocks me in the face and then immediately puts herself back and like makes eye contact with me. Like, don't touch me again. And like, not only did she look me in the face, but then she reached down to like protect herself. And I didn't want to say in that moment, it wasn't me, you know? So she felt, and she was like, oh, the baby's there. And so she just watched me and like just delivered. So the she baby. thought that the baby's head coming out was, was you me. touching her. Yes. And yes. So and <laughs> exactly what you thought. So she like, she delivered her own baby's head holding. And then she looked at me and she was like, there's a cord as mm -hmm. in like, but I wanted to be like, am I allowed to touch it? Or are you going to punch me in the face again? But I didn't. So I felt around and I said, it's not a cord. It's just a baby's fat roll. Yeah. And she said, okay. And then she like slowly worked the baby out herself. Aww. And then the baby came up to her chest and she and her husband and are like, oh my God, it was so beautiful. But of course I'm just staring at her vagina. Like, yeah. Is, is this going to start bleeding? Is this going to happen? Is this going to start happening? But it was so beautiful. We got her to the bed. And that entire postpartum, she may have lost 150 cc's uh, of blood. It was like such a redemption. Postpartum. Right. And so when her placenta was coming out, I didn't realize I was holding my breath. Yeah. So like it came out and I went, oh my God, I was totally just holding my breath. Was anybody else holding their breath? And her husband goes, oh, I thought I was going to have a heart attack. I got like PTSD. My my heart's going like 100 miles an hour. And so we're all like doing that nervous laughter yeah. thing that you do when you're like okay we're all good now. we're in the clear yeah and her sister was there too she didn't make the birth but she made it for the placenta and she had been there for her first birth too yeah. so she was like Whew. so we were all just like celebrating <sighs> yeah it was so awesome such a good redemption Yay, birth. congratulations guys Yay, good job you so it is time to wrap up this episode any 
anytime and like I said, we do not take these things lightly, even though we made a lot of weird, awkward jokes <laughs> while talking about this. Like there was a higher proportion of awkward jokes this episode than usual considering we were trying to actually talk about research and statistics it made me feel happy to make those (laughs) jokes though um whatever makes you happy so yes like please each individual has different ideas of risks and benefits and so informed choice is so important so don't shy away from those conversations with your providers and don't shy away from doing the research sometimes in advance because If you get up to a point where it's like your water's broken and you're streppy positive, now you have a very small amount of time to decide what you feel comfortable with. So do some research about some of these things before you get to that point so you know what you feel comfortable with. So all I have to say is for all you women out there, uh, consider your options. You guys are all badasses. And cheers. (laughs) Nothing like phone on cranberry juice action.